pray your blessing on him. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you both. Thank you very much indeed. And thank you all. Thank you for your welcome. Um, it's marvelous to be here. Um, Catherine and I have only just moved to, to Fulham, uh, though we both have uh, connections here. And must say, we are, we are loving it. It's a, it's a wonderful place to be, isn't it? Um, we both actually have, have links. So Catherine has lived in, I think, at least three, three places within Fulham over, over the years. And my mother's family is, if you, if you like, old Fulham. So my grandmother used to work in the Fuller's Cake Factory, those of you who've been around for a long, long time. And my grandfather was a postman in, in SW7. So whenever I see a postie going around SW6, I, I have to resist the temptation to run up to them and say, my grandfather was a postman as well. I just wonder how that would, that would go down. So it's, I feel like I'm, I'm on an episode of uh, So You Know who, who You Are. You know, it's what that our family ancestry program, wherever, wherever, I, wherever I go around here. All of which to say, um, it's lovely to meet you. Uh, and if you're online, it's lovely to kind of sort of meet you. It's marvelous that you're here tuning in as, as well. Uh, when you're new to a place, and uh, I suppose the same is true of, you know, when we go to a party or out for supper with friends, do you remember doing that? Uh, or if you start a new job, um, there's, it's the same kind of feeling, isn't it? You know, Am I going to fit in? Um, what are people like? What's the culture, the customs? You know, how is it, how is it going to be? And I think Catherine and I have, have felt that. And it has really reinforced for us just the sense of how important community is. How important it is to be with a group in which one can know and be known, love and be loved and belong and contribute. Uh, and doubly for that reason, I think we are so grateful to have, uh, have found St. Dee's and to be, be part of you. It's a, it's a real privilege and, and pleasure to be, to be with you. And I mention that p partly to give you a sound of my voice for a bit, to help you tune in. Uh, but also, I think, um, I think that is where James is going at the end of his letter. I think James chapter 5, it zeroes in on the community, about the people, and the relationships between the people. And I think specifically what he's saying is that this is his vision, is that the church is a healing community. It's a community where we come and where we are healed physically, where we are healed spiritually, emotionally. It's where we are healed relationally, one with another. Healing happens at all kinds of levels. So uh, keep that in our minds, if we may, as we, as we go, go through. Now, if, I, if I'm right, and I, I think I am, uh, then... Uh, what could be more pertinent than that message for where we are now as a society? Uh, we're in the middle of turmoil and trauma, I think, are we not, because of COVID. I think it's as strong as that. Uh, for years and years, we'll be talking about this. You know, our kids are doing exams at A-levels and GCSEs, or not, as the case might be, and they will be known, won't they, as the generation of the COVID when their exams didn't, didn't happen. I, I don't want to over-dramatize, but, you know, are we very divided as a, a nation between rich and poor, between north and south? We're as divided as we've ever been in my lifetime, ethnically and economically. Is the church divided? I think we're divided between kind of traditional approaches to church and emerging natures of church. I think we're divided bitterly sometimes over issues of human sexuality. 
I think we are divided between hope, those churches which are full of expectation and excitement, and those for whom it's a real struggle and it's despair and they're just hanging on. And I guess if you're like me, we're divided within ourselves too. Are we really looking forward to getting back together, getting out there and getting back on the tubes and back on the buses if we're not already? And yet there's part of us which is thinking, gosh, I'm not sure about that. We recognize that it's going to take energy to re-engage, and we're just thinking, I'm not sure I've got that energy. There's all kinds of turmoil and trauma going on for us. And into that, I think, that's the power of what James speaks. His vision for the church as a healing community. Not us as individuals, but us as a church together as those who bear the healing presence of Jesus. So can we think together as we come through to the end of James? Let's think about that together. How can, how can we together be a healing community for Parsons Green, for Fulham, for Southwest London, for London and, and further? And if I may, I'm going to, I hope you don't mind, I'm going to work us quite, quite hard around, around the text, but, but stay, stay with me, and I hope the themes will, will carry us through. Let's start in a slightly strange way, that by reading the Bible, I suddenly realized I hadn't read the passage. That, there you are, I'm an experienced hand, you know, it's, uh, this gives you confidence, doesn't it? James chapter 5, and I'm going to read from verse 13. I think it might be helpful to follow. So if you've got it on your phone or your tablet or you've got a Bible nearby, let, let's, uh, let's engage with the text together, if we may. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you ill? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make them well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring them back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the way of error will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What good Anglicans we are. Well done. Now, where I wanted to start, slightly strange place. Let, let's think about Elijah. So this passage works like this, doesn't it? There's all the, all the passages about healing. Call the elders if you're un, unwell. They'll anoint you with oil. They'll pray for you. You'll be good. The Lord will raise you up. Confess your sins so that you could be healed. Um, and then he talks about the righteous person and the prayer of faith. A little bit about Elijah, and then that bit at the end about if anyone wanders, wanders, wanders away from the Lord, and someone brings him back, then they're restored from, from death. Let's start with Elijah in the middle. Why Elijah? Why does he go for Elijah? He's obviously looking for an Old Testament hero, someone who embodies powerful prayer, 
why does he go for Elijah? Moses was pretty powerful in his praying, wasn't he? I think so. Not bad. Give him a high seven. Um, Abraham, David. What about the prophets? Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, model prayers, Ezekiel. So why does he go for Elijah? And it seems that it's connected with this sense that he was a righteous person. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Availeth much, I think the old version used to say. Uh, but he focuses in on he's a righteous person, Elijah. What does it mean to be righteous? And it doesn't mean good, just a good person or a godly person or a God-fearing person, because he goes straight on, doesn't he? He said, well, he's just like us. He was a human being just like me. It's not that. Now, Reformation scholars, forgive me. I'm going to say it does not mean justified or forgiven. I think what he is referring to is that part of the Old Testament where the righteous come again and again and again. Because you know where that is? Over 50 references to the righteous, to people praying in the Psalms. He's talking like Elijah knew what it was to be a righteous person in the sense that the righteous are identified in the book of Psalms. What was that? Well, the righteous in the Psalms were by and large the poor, those who were being oppressed, those who were being crushed by the rich, the powerful, and the wicked, and yet stayed faithful to God and called out to God to come and rescue them. So here's just one example. I won't read you all 50. You'll be pleased to hear. Uh, Psalm 14 and uh, verses 4 to 6. They devour my people as though eating bread. They never call on the Lord. But there they are, overwhelmed with dread, for God is present in the company of the righteous. You evildoers frustrate the plans of the poor. In other words, the poor and the righteous are put in parallel together. But the Lord is their refuge. And it comes again and again and again. The righteous cry out to God, Lord, help us. We need your help. And he answers them and is faithful to them. Uh, another reason why we might talk about Elijah, what are some of the stories of Elijah's life? There's the great contest with the priests of Baal, isn't there? But I wonder if the one that is really getting under James's skin is Naboth's vineyard. Do you remember the story? Do you know this story that, uh, that Naboth is a good and godly man? The bad king Ahab comes and thanks to Jezebel, steals his, well, kills him in order to steal his vineyard. In other words, a powerful rich person through injustice and through corruption, robs and steals and destroys one of the righteous. So there's a bit of a theme going on, isn't there, actually? Why this emphasis on the righteous? I wonder if there's another theme as well, because what he does is he prays and it doesn't rain for three and a half years, and he prays and it does rain, and the land yields its crops. Bear in mind that we don't know for sure who James is writing this letter to, but James is based in Jerusalem, so probably he's writing to the very early churches and church plants of Judea, predominantly Jewish congregations, although then they are scattered in exile around the place. So these are poor, landed Jewish Christians at a time when we know there was famine and there was pressure, at a time at which we know that the aristocracy of the, the Jewish society 
were in league with the Romans because there was famine in Rome as well. Rome was not being fed with all the corn, so where were they going to get it from? They get it from the empire. They get it from Judea and Jerusalem, the breadbasket of the empire. But to do that, they have to kick out the faithful Jewish righteous who are now following the Messiah, Jesus. So I wonder if all this is going on in the background. Are, are you with me? Sorry if this feels a bit like a, a Bible dictionary, but it'll come alive, I promise you, as we, as we get there. What we have is the sense then, reading between the lines, there is colossal division, colossal strife between the rich and the poor, between the landed peasants who are being kicked off the land and those who have the levers of power and a bit of money and are in league with Rome and are driving them out. They're driving them off the land. And then James writes and says, do you realize you are just like the righteous of the Psalms? You are just like the righteous Elijah. So what can you do if you're righteous? You'll do what the righteous always do. What do the righteous do? They pray. You can pray. Hence, this community, this healing community, what characterizes it? It's a community that knows how to pray, to call out to God in times of pressure and division and struggle. Call out to God for his faithfulness to deliver on the goods. Let's go through James and um, stay with me as we, as we go and just see if we can trace this theme. And as I go through this, uh, Keep in your mind, who is he writing to? There's an audience in his mind. I think there are two audiences. Who, who are they as we go through? So chapter one, he talks about the humble and the proud. Well, there you are. So this division, it's not just out there, is it? It's in the church. There are the humble and the proud. They are here, sitting side by side. I guess that's not very comfortable. And then he says, the rich will fade away wonder who he's talking to there. And then he says, be slow to speak and become angry because our anger does not produce the righteousness, that verb, that word, the righteous. It doesn't produce the righteousness that God desires. Speaking to the poor, isn't he? He's saying, don't get angry. Don't lose it. Don't go to revolution. Instead, you must pray. Keep a check on your tongue. Chapter 2, the famous chapter, no favoritism. Someone rich and well-dressed comes in and is, oh, how lovely to see you. Come and sit, sit at the front. And then the poor person with their filthy clothes and you ignore them and say, sit, sit back. Keep, keep out of the way. And then he says, God has chosen those who are poor to be rich in faith. But you have dishonored the poor. Who's he talking to there? He's talking to the rich guys, isn't he? He says, you've dishonored the poor. You be very careful. And then he talks about the rich. They're the ones who are exploiting you. They're dragging you to court. You see how this, this isn't a, just an, an abstract letter of interesting doctrine. This is a live issue in a real network of church plants. Uh, chapter 3, the tongue. It says, it's wrong. You can't have praising and cursing. So I wonder if he's talking to the poor here. It says, you're, you're grumbling and cursing the rich. You can't do that. You can't be singing your worship songs one minute and then sounding off about the rich, the next one. He says, because that leads to bitter envy and disorder and every evil practice. He's frantically saying, stay together, guys. Stay together. Be a healing, reconciling community. And how about this line? Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of, of what? Righteousness. If you're righteous... You be righteous. 
What's the characteristic of the righteous? They're peacemakers. Chapter 4 starts, what causes fights and quarrels among you? That gives it away a bit, doesn't it? They're fighting and quarreling. What makes you do that? He says, coveting. You want what you don't have. So he's talking to the poor. You don't have it. So why don't you have it? Not because you're not fighting, but because you don't ask God. What do the righteous do? They pray. You see how this theme is coming again and again and again. Discord between the rich and the poor. Uh, Pray. That's the answer. That's the way through. Who are you to judge your neighbor? God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble and oppressed. Imagine how electric that proverb would be in that kind of context. Then chapter 5, our chapter. No doubt who he's talking to here. Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail. Your wealth has rotted. Your gold and silver are corroded. The wages you fail to pay are crying out against you. Wow. Then I think he turns to the poor and he says, be patient then. Be patient and stand firm. Don't grumble against one another or you will be judged. And then we come to our passage. So I don't know if you agree with me. I think throughout this letter, we've got these two groups. And James is writing through them side by side. Sometimes people say the book of James, it's, it's incoherent. It's just one little passage after another, and they don't link up. They say it's like the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament. So James is like Proverbs in the New Testament. I don't think that's right. I think it's everything makes sense if you view it through this pastoral lens. These two groups, you've got the righteous, the righteous poor. You are in the line of Job, he says. You are in the line of Elijah. So don't fight, don't grumble, don't curse, but pray. And then there's the other group, the rich, and they're in the church as well. They're all around them in the cities and towns of Judah, Judea, these early churches, these tiny church plants. Um, and they're in the church, side by side, the rich. And he said, you, you rich, you better be careful. You better be really careful. Because he's very clear, isn't he? Whose side is God on? God is on the side of the poor, the righteous. So you rich, if you're withholding their wages, you're like Ahab. That is not good. And here you are, sitting side by side in church together. Now, he says at the end of his letter, now, dear friends, dear brothers and sisters, be a healing community. I think that means, doesn't it, be on the way to being healed yourselves. Be healed physically, we pray for healing, but be healed between yourselves. I think that's the really big thing he's saying. The relationships between you. Be healed. Pray for each other so that you may be healed. Confess your sins to one another. In other words, if you're rich and you're withholding someone's wages, for goodness sake, stop it and say sorry, and here's your money that I owe you. If you've been grumbling and plotting revolution and violence against your employer, stop it and say, forgive me and be reconciled. Be one community. Be a healed community so that you can be a healing community for those all around you. This is how the New Testament works, isn't it? Church, be healed in the love of Jesus so that you, church, can be a healing power 
in the spirit of Christ to the society all around you. Don't you just love the word of God? Isn't it extraordinary? Okay, step back. Are you, are you with me? You're okay. At home, you were, you were right? I don't know how you'd tell me a few if you weren't, but... Uh, um, I was going through our church website. It is extraordinary to me and to Catherine what you, and I can now say what we, are doing. Well done, us. <laughs> Being her all of 10 minutes. It's extraordinary to me. I was going through, and look, safe families, I guess you guys all, all know what, what that is. Um, but local families who need our support. That's the kind of activity of the righteous. Well done, everyone who's involved in that. That must be so close to the heart of the Lord. The Glass Door Homeless Charity. I guess Fulham has a bit of a reputation, doesn't it? You know, what's the reputation of Fulham? You know, it's quite rich, it's quite smart, it's quite hard, it's quite ambitious. And yet here is a church in Fulham which is saying we are heart and soul involved in a charity which works with the homeless. And what really moved me was there's a little note on our website which says the rotors are all full at the moment, but if you want to be on that waiting list, then do sign up. Well done, church. That's fantastic. Then there's another one. Crosslight debt advice. Sorry, you probably know, know all this. It's just new to me. I'm so excited by it. But isn't that amazing? This, I think James would be going, yes, that's exactly the stuff you should be doing because that's the righteous bit. It's prayer aligned with righteous activity, helping those in, in need. And there's another one. I couldn't believe it. Tasks in the community. Give a phone call to someone who's local, elderly, or vulnerable. What a beautiful thing to do. Imagine the impact of that. We're so aware, aren't we, just how isolated we've all become. What a precious and beautiful thing to do, to give someone a ring once a week. How are you? How can I help? I've been thinking about you. Tell me. Tell me about your family. Tell me about your life. And there's another one. Hammersmith and Fulham Food Bank. Guys, how did this happen? I have a hunch it's something to do with our leaders at the front and uh, at the back, but it's because of you. It's because of all of us together. James would be so pleased. There's something called the Cinnamon Network. Have you heard of the Cinnamon Network? It's a really, really good thing. They, they connect up churches which are involved in social action around the country. They did a faith action audit in 2016. So it's five years old now. It'll be much more now. But in 2016, the Cinnamon Network found that UK church and faith groups were worth to the national economy, any idea, three billion pounds. That's more than I'm paid in a year. I don't know about you. That's a lot of money. And actually, what they can't say straight out is the overwhelming majority of that is churches. It's churches that are doing social action up and down the country. It's the people of God stirred by Jesus. That's why that is happening. They're involved in 210,000 social action projects. These numbers are astronomical. And that, those 210,000, sorry, 210,000 social action projects are run by 1.8 million volunteers who support 47 million beneficiary interactions each year. 
How long would it take to count that number, let alone do that? Jesus is alive and well in our society. Jesus is walking with the poor. Jesus and the righteous are engaged in loving and healing and caring right under our noses. That was 2016. You will know that there's been a national initiative in lockdown called Love Your Neighbor, started as emergency food provision. Um, they reckon now that um, Love Your Neighbor has sold, has sold, has distributed 7.5 million crisis meals. Just think about that, 7.5 million crisis meals. Hallelujah, I think that's beautiful. And they're involved in debt advice and unemployment support. Uh, just to make it personal, here's, uh, here's a story I've got off the website. This is John's story. John is not his real name. John is a 49-year-old man with severe disabilities who hasn't left his home in five years. With no family or friends to help him, he relies on a weekly Asda food delivery. When the lockdown started, demand for online deliveries meant that he couldn't order food. Once the food in his house was used up, he relied on water and sucking on used tea bags. Every time he rang a number for help, he was given the number of someone else to call. In the end, he called the police, and they called us, love your neighbor. Due to his very specific dietary requirements, they didn't know if we could help. Capitals, but of course we can help. Love that. As I chatted on the phone and wandered the shelves of our newly set up distribution center at the church, I smiled to myself. Every single item he asked for, no matter how random, we had something in our church. The only thing he didn't mention was fresh milk. Would you like me to get you four pints of milk, I asked. He began to cry. I thought I'd been forgotten and that I was going to die alone. I would love some milk. That's the church. That's us. That's the righteous. That's the healing community of Jesus in action. And that's James's vision. A united community, aligned in righteousness, praying and helping. I think that sounds amazing. I'm up for that. You up for that? I know that you are. How can we do that? T two things. One is small groups. A uh, little story about John Wesley, and forgive me, you'll probably know this. John Wesley, of course, was the, the great revival leader, and we picture him a bit like Billy Graham going up and down the country preaching and thousands coming to Christ, and that's true. It's exactly what happened in the 18th century. Um, Britain was in a terrible state. It was falling apart in terms of personal morality. Uh, Christianity was, was plummeting. Uh, it was a dangerous, violent, corrupt place. And John Wesley went up and down the land preaching the gospel. His vision was not evangelism. His vision was spreading scriptural holiness throughout the land. He wanted a society to be changed. And he did that through his preaching, and he did it through small groups. So particularly, there was uh, what he called the class meetings. And class meetings were groups of 10 to 12 people. And they would basically go around, it was to reform behavior. That's what it was about. And they would go around their groups, and uh, basically the question was, how is it with your soul? 
How are you doing with God? And they would be accountable to one another. And now I mentioned that because it was so powerful. It was the engine for sanctification. It was the engine for church growth. It was the engine for leadership pipeline. And they had a text, every single class meeting. Do you know what that text was? Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. James chapter 5, verse 16. The life of the righteous is rooted in prayer and small groups. Now, called Christian Swartz did some research on every, see, see if there were, there were common factors in every growing church around the world. There's a massive amount of research they did, thousands of churches, and he came up with eight common characteristics of every single growing church anywhere in the world, regardless of country or culture or anything like that. One of those features was, of course, what he called holistic small groups, home groups. Uh, you in a home group? Get in a home group if you're not, because that's where the power is of churches. This is what James is telling us, isn't it? It's not just the individual, it's the relationships between the individuals. That's where Jesus somehow comes alive in power. Friends at home, sign up for a home group. Might like to do that after Easter, get involved. Um, then the other thing, of course, is Jesus himself going to come into a land. You'll be pleased, pleased to hear. What if our wonderful musicians could come and make heavenly, heavenly noises? Because, of course, uh, we cannot do this. We cannot do this. Only Jesus can do this. But this is why we plant churches, is that Jesus has chosen to manifest himself in churches. It's not just individual Christians which will change countries. It's the relationships between Christians. It's the righteous. It's when rich and poor are reconciled and healing and healed. It's when that happens that everything, that the rest of the world sits up and takes notice. So I guess this is the call of action, isn't it? Um, think ahead 20 years. What's church going to be like? Can you imagine? Well, what would have changed in 20 years? What will be the same? What will be different? Of course, we can't tell. Chances are it will be more difficult in some ways to be a follower of Jesus. Culturally, maybe even legally, it'll be harder. But I think the impact of faithful Christians will be vastly different, be hugely multiplied. And that is why we need the Lord. It's interesting in the book of James. Do strum away, guys. That would be lovely. I promise not to sing. That would not be so, so good. Um, all these jokes, I've lost my, my train of thought. I, th I think um, where, I, where I was going, it's very interesting in the book of James. Jesus is hardly ever mentioned. Isn't that interesting? Five long chapters, he's mentioned twice by name very beginning and the beginning of chapter 2. Does that mean Jesus isn't in the letter? Jesus is everywhere in the letter. Partly he is quoted again and again and again. Largely, interestingly, from the Sermon on the Mount. But even more, 
the passion and the values of Jesus come through. In, a, in our passage, pray for each other so you may be healed. The word healed, made well, is the same word as the word for saved. The Lord will raise you up. The word for raised up is the same word as resurrection. And I wonder if that's why James moves so quickly from healing to forgiveness to resurrection. In this healing community, it's underpinned by the gospel. It's underpinned by the presence of Jesus. It's underpinned by the Lord who died for us so that we could be forgiven and reconciled to one another and underpinned by the Lord who is alive, who has conquered death, who is really, really present. So hallelujah, we are back together again in a room in this beautiful church building. We are together. It's good, isn't it? I have to say, it is so different worshiping together. I mean, I've, I'm not a great singer, and, but our front room is its not a patch. I just felt the Spirit. Friends, come, come back. It would be great. I felt the Spirit as we worshiped. And that is because Jesus is here. Jesus is specially present when his people gather together. Jesus is walking between us as we worship, as we sing, as we pray. Jesus is healing us, healing the relationships between us, healing us so that we, the healing community, might bring healing to those all around us. God bless you all. Let's stand. Uh, I'll pray and then... Um, I don't know what will happen after that, but let's, let's start there. Do you believe this? Think of the words which Jesus said to, uh, I think it was Mary or Martha, wasn't it? Do you believe this? Friends, do you believe this? That's not to put you on the spot, but the local church really is the hope for the world. Do you believe this? And here we are. Golly, lockdown's been hard. Still not through it. We won't be for some time. We are tired. It's been a brutal ride. We've been through turmoil and trauma. Some of us are still in it. But is the Lord calling us, calling us into something new? To be this healing community. The community which does serve the poor. The community which is righteous. It's going to take a lot, isn't it? It's going to take the power of God to take Jesus walking between us as we pray. So Lord, that's our prayer. Lord, help us. Lord, help us. Give us what we need. Pour out your spirit. Come and heal us, Lord, please. Come and heal our bodies. Come and heal our minds. Come and heal our hearts. Come and heal the relationships between us. Come, Lord, by your Spirit. 
Come and heal us, that we might be healing for those around us. Let's worship together.